Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Good morning, folks. This is Dave Thompson. I'm the director of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, and we are on our last podcast for this week. We won't do one through the weekend. Why? Because I'm simply going to take the weekend off. That's why. I haven't had one off for about 10 weeks, and I don't have any work scheduled, so folks, I apologize early. But that being said, I am not by myself today. Bill Fellows is joining me once again. Bill, are you there? Yeah, and having a good time, as a matter of fact. We, our uh, basement patio doors look out to a, a small wooded area behind us, and during all this pandemic, we've been spending a lot of time watching the critters out there. This morning, I had uh, three squirrels eating some of the nuts I put out for them, and uh, up come uh, a fox, and of course they got in the trees and got away. But the fox must not have had a very good hunt last night. He started eating the nuts. <laughs> now that's kind of unusual. Where are you at, Bill? I'm in uh, Florence, Kentucky. It's somewhat of a of an area that has a lot of subdivisions in it, but between them is this woods, and I think all the animals kind of got all condensed into that one spot. So. I see deer, and uh, we even had a cow walk through here once. You know, I've been seeing some uh, video from around the country where uh, animals are roaming places that they normally don't because we're not there. Yeah, I saw that too. Like 200 goats going down the street somewhere (laughs) in one of the videos. You know, that, you, know you, you see some of these, uh, uh, oh, well, I guess not sci-fi, but some of these future films about what's going to happen to the world when, you know, the human population isn't here, and it shows how nature takes back its own, and uh, it's kind of, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe some of these videos weren't quite so far off, huh? Yeah, I was amazed at how quickly our air and water cleaned up when we stopped running the factories and running all the boats through the water in Venice area. So uh, it, it take care of itself if we let it. Well, and, and, and I know that's not the reason for our podcast today, but I do believe I've always believed that, you know, we should be taking care of our planet a little bit better than we do. And I think the reason you come on bill is to talk about taking care of us better than we do. Yeah. Yeah, we last time uh, was two weeks ago when we had our last, or two months ago, I'm sorry, we had our last podcast, and I started into the seven terms for SDS that uh, all the custodians should know, and again, I'll say this time, as I did then, if uh, we were going to finish this out this, this time, and if uh, anyone would like a copy of the PowerPoint presentation 
for this. Uh, if they just send me an email at bill at billfellows.com, I'll be very happy to uh, talk to them about getting that in their hands. I, I kind of like to start this afternoon with something that I've received just like about 10 minutes ago. And I kind of think that it's kind of appropriate to what you're, you're going to talk about, Bill, today. So pardon me if I, I uh, kind of narrate this here a minute. Uh, this is from a, a gentleman that just took our infection prevention class here recently. We've been, you know, putting uh, hundreds of people through this class over the last 10 weeks. And it says here, I really enjoyed the class. Um, I put out feelers to get some work. He's new into this. He says, the big deal with janitorial companies is that they're already doing some of this processing work, but oh my gosh, they don't know what they are doing. They have a bunch of low-level janitors who are just spraying disinfectant everywhere. It's truly scary to think that this company and these people are in charge of our health. It's all about making some money. Hmm. You know, I think the thing here is, is that there's a lot of people, just like this gentleman here is referring to, that the frontline workers really have no idea. They're just spraying disinfectants right now. They have no idea the safety or any of the complications of the products they're using. And uh, I've noticed that too in my doing my SIMS assessments. And right now, uh, we're not able to travel but we're using Zoom and, and FaceTime to uh, go to those sites and take a look at things and watch how people deliver the disinfectant. And we had some discussions on this a while back, and I know you've had others, but uh, there are some who just aren't trained properly in how to apply the disinfectant and they really get the job done. And there's a concern that uh, the disinfectants may be getting wasted because of that. They're not doing the proper way and not putting them in the proper places. Well, I know that's the truth. I mean, I watch videos. I just talked to the gentleman out of Chicago yesterday morning before we did our carpet class, and we had the discussion about the same thing. And uh, it was all over, and I'm not going to mention names of products today, but it was all over a product that he was using that should not be inhaled. And I said, look at the safety data sheet. See what it says on there. What is the protective equipment that you should be wearing? And should you be spraying that and atomizing that and then leaving it on the surface for people to come in contact with? Uh, because what he was doing, he was showing that they were just spraying it all over the countertops. And they had silverware on the countertops. They had bowls on the countertop. They had a, a whole tray of, of washed dishes on the countertop and they were just spraying the disinfectant and leaving it. And I said, you, you need to know what you're doing before you do this. And I think that's the reason of the, that you go through the SDS sheets. Yes. And in fact, now I tell every time I do an assessment or any training class, I tell people if they're using disinfectants, there's a few things they should remember. First of all, disinfectants aren't regulated by OSHA. They're regulated by the EPA and they fall under the category of pesticides. And they do that because disinfectants are designed to kill living things. And while you think that the aim is the bacteria, it can actually kill people if it's not handled properly. So I ask them to take a look at the SDS sheet in sections two and eight. 
if the section two is pretty elongated, you can bet section eight will be as well. And all of it has to do with the hazards of that particular disinfectant. Now, we do not need exceptionally strong disinfectants to kill the coronavirus. It's not a particularly virulent virus. It can be killed with sim simple stuff that doesn't have as the great dangers that some of them do. But a lot of people think, oh, I need to get the strongest possible. If you're in a hospital setting where you're looking at possible hepatitis B or tuberculosis, something like that, that may be true. But when you're just talking about keeping a business clean and free of the coronavirus, that's not necessarily the right thing to do. So when you're looking at the safety data sheet, you mentioned section two and eight. Could you tell our listeners what those sections are? Well, those section two is part of what describes uh, the hazards that are the, the hazardous ingredients that are inside of the chemical. And then eight deals with what the hazards are to your health and what you might need to do to protect yourself. Uh, is, so it's a little more direct towards the PPE that you may want to consider. And I'm not allowed to tell a company what PPE they, they have to wear. Even OSHA doesn't do that. OSHA just says you're responsible to look at what you're doing and figure out if something is whatever safety risk need to be mitigated and then make your own recommendations. And if you fail to do it for the right reasons or for or things and somebody gets sick or hurt, then you got a, a whole other problem on your hands. So uh, if you just tell them where to look, a lot of times it opens their eyes and they begin to understand. One guy I talked to just this morning, uh, we had done this training for them for the SDS and he was a, went home and his wife, uh, he went into the bathroom and it was a really strong smell in there and he asked his wife about it and she had mixed bowl cleaner and bleach try to get a better job disinfecting. And uh, so he realized he, he needed to do that training at home because <laughs> his own wife was doing the wrong things. And uh, so it happens all the time. We just, people just don't think far enough ahead. So what's the main topic we want to talk about today, Bill? I know that, uh, you know, is it particularly disinfectants because of COVID right now, or are we going to talk about something more general? I want to con continue to follow the process of looking at an SDS sheet in more detail and, and the th items that you should be checking on it uh, before you use any chemical, if you don't mind. Go right on ahead. I'm listening to you, and so is everybody else. Okay, so the first time was uh, we talked about the three terms. We talked about the uh, flashpoint. Flashpoint, we learned, was the temperature where a liquid would give off vapors. And then we compared the terms flammable and combustible. The most typical answer for that is flammable burns, combustible explodes, and that's the number one wrong answer. <laughs> flammable and combustible are based upon whatever the flash point is of the chemical. So if the chemical will, uh, sorry, I should have muted my phone. Yeah, well, I did the same thing too, Bill. So don't 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 feel too bad. You know, <laughs> all this electronic stuff, and I forget on which switches I did or didn't turn on. Yeah. So uh, the flammable and combustible are based on the flash point. So if the flash point is 100 degrees Fahrenheit or less, it's considered a flammable material. 
if it's over 100 degrees, it's considered combustible. Uh, the difference is that uh, gasoline, if you look at that, it's, it's uh, flashpoint is minus 56 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you go to the gas pump, you'll see the octanes on gasoline are 87, 89, and 93. If you look at kerosene, which has a much higher flashpoint and fits into the combustible category, that octane is only 40, and you have to warm it up before it'll burn. So that's the difference in those two. So the new ones we're going to introduce today include, uh, first of all, vapor density. Vapor density is the weight of the vapors, and it's compared to a cubic foot of ambient air at sea level. The scientists give that a rating of one. So what ambient air is at sea level is a one. If the vapor density of your chemical is greater than one, that means it's heavier than air and it's going to fall. If it's less than one, it's lighter than air and it's going to rise. That's important to us because uh, as cleaners, sometimes it'll say under, uh, um, well, what you have to do to protect yourself or what's, I can't remember the term right now, but it's, uh, it says you have to have good ventilation. That's a precaution. I'm sorry. Precautions are to have good ventilation. Well, then you look at vapor density. If the vapor density says it's greater than one, the ventilation needs to be across the floor because that's where the vapors go. And again, if they go up, that's where you blow it across the ceiling and that helps to keep you fresh air because whether it'll burn or not isn't relevant. <laughs> What's relevant is the fact that it's taking away breathable air if you're in a confined space, a small room with the door closed, that kind of thing. So taking away your breathable air, if it's coming down from the ceiling, it gets into your breathing zone, then you can't breathe. If it comes from the bottom up, it again gets in your breathing zone, you can't breathe. That's why when there's a fire, they tell you to stay low to the floor because that's where the clean air is because all those vapors from the heat are rising from the fire. Uh, it's important information for us to understand and be able to, to know what to do when we're using our chemicals. The next important thing to understand is the specific gravity. Specific gravity compares the weight of the chemical to the weight of water. A cubic foot of distilled water at sea level is given a scientific weight of one. So again, if you add chemical to the water and its, its specific gravity is greater than one, it will sink to the bottom. If it's less than one, it floats. Gasoline, again, vapor density was greater than one, so it goes down. You'll see that when somebody fills up a gas tank, you can see the fumes roll off and go down to the ground. But when it comes to the specific gravity, it's actually greater or less than one, so it floats on the water. So what we have to understand then is you can't put a grease fire out with water. It picks it up and carries it away. All distillates tend to float on the water. So another term that we check on is the area that talks about stability and reactivity. The stability of the chemical simply tells us what the shelf life is. So there's two reasons why the shelf life could be adversely affected assuming we store it 
according to the directions that are given. One is what's called um, polymerization. And to illustrate polymerization so people can visualize this, if you put a gallon of milk on a table for three days and come back to it, you see all these white clumps that are all usually towards the bottom into this uh, liquid that's a little yellowish. Uh, that's where the solids that are within the liquid or the chemical start to pull together and separate from the liquid that's designed to allow you to use it. This is specifically prevalent in paint, varnish, and floor finishes. It used to be they didn't do anything about that, so floor finish after a while would begin to clabber, just like the milk does, and people would try to roll the drums or the, or the five-gallon pails to get it mixed up. So if you were to take that milk and put it in a blender, you could get it all white again, but would anybody want to drink it? Uh, and yet they turn around and will take four finish, and once they stir it back up again, they'll put it on the floor. Well, it's no good when that happens. You can't do that. Another method that affects the stability of a chemical is called dissipation. This is specifically prevalent in, uh, if you use the example of the swimming pool, especially on bright days when the sun's out, they have to pay close attention to the chlorine levels and the pH levels of the pool. And they're always adding chlorine because chlorine dissipates out in the sunlight. If you have that uh, bleach in a clear bottle, it'll still smell like bleach, but the light will cause it to lose its effectiveness. Same with the pool. The pool still smells like chlorinated water, but it doesn't have the kill rate. So when I jump in there, whatever germs I have on my body can move across the water to get to somebody else. It's a whole reason for having that system in place. So if you made up a, a thing of bleach water to, to disinfect a blood spill, for example, whatever's left over within 20 hours is not any good. Still smells good, but it's not any good. Almost all disinfectants come in opaque bottles because you don't want them to end up getting the sunlight. Now, when we transfer them, we tend to transform them into clear bottles, and we use spray bottles as opposed to, to pouring the liquid out. So when that sits around, if it's in light uh, and not a dark closet, that's all dissipating as well. And so the kill rate of that disinfectant becomes significantly lower than it was designed to be. Good night. Now, can I jump in on that right there? Sure. You know, one of the things that we teach here, Bill, is we don't we do not like trigger sprayers. You know, for we the cork either. bottles. Yeah. You know, we talk about using a flip top instead of the the trigger sprayer for you know some of what you're talking about the uh, you know the separation and all of that. There there seems to be a controversy that goes on when you start talking about this that oh, well, we need to leave it in the quart bottle because we're going to use it all week long. You know, my thing is, is if you're not using a quart bottle of disinfectant in an operation at least every couple days, then, you know, really, are you doing much disinfecting? So you're saying if it's in a, a, a clear bottle sitting on a cart where there's 
you know, light to it all the time, it may not even be a good disinfectant by the end of the week. That's correct. It's a, uh, that's how the, the, we call it uh, a passive loss, but it just uh, dissipates out of the system when, because it's adversely affected by light. So what would you advise people to do? Should they be, I mean, of course, I'm thinking what you're saying is we should have an opaque spray bottle, which I don't know that anybody has. And since we're putting in clear bottles, then should we be refreshing that bottle every couple of days? What's the advice? Well, if you take a look at when you buy disinfectants in quart bottles, they are opaque. Right. Uh, so you can get opaque bottles and i agree with you and i tell this all the time not everybody listens but uh they should get rid of trigger sprayers you got two issues with trigger sprayers uh one's the ergonomics a person is doing that all night long you're going to have some problems possibly with their uh, joints and ligaments in their fingers and in the uh maybe even some carpal tunnel because of that constant motion of the trigger sprayer the second issue is if you look at the surface after you spray it, there's, you're lucky if you've covered 60% of the surface with the actual liquid. So the rest of that surface is dry, meaning there's nothing happening to it in the area of disinfection. It just isn't there. And then when you wipe it with your cloth and you spread it all around, now the surface is wet, but is it wet as long as it needs to be for the dwell time? If you put the, the cloth into your hand, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if you put the cloth into your hand and use a flip-top bottle, add just enough to make it saturated clear through, but it's not dripping wet, then when you apply that thing, it's even. Uh, you can learn how much needs to be in there in order to maintain the dwell time of whatever you're using. Dwell times range anywhere from 60 seconds to 20 minutes. So you have to know whatever that is and how long the surface has to stay wet. Uh, but you can get opaque bottles and flip tops are readily available. Flip top never wears out like trigger sprayers do. So you probably reduce your cost overall if you just make that switch. Well, we say that all the time. Uh, um, I think for most of your Jansan houses, you know, they're clear bottles. I've seen them with a kind of a, a bluish green tint, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. So you're saying if we're using a disinfectant, the most proper way, and I think that's what we always talk about here at the Academy is, you know, best practices would be to use a flip top on an opaque bottle. And then we don't have to worry about how long it's in, the, in that uh, bottle. That's correct. You can also invest, if you can't find those as, as just plain bottles, just go ahead and invest and buy it in quarts uh, till you have enough of what you need and then change out the uh, uh, to a flip top. It may even already have a flip top in it, but then at least you know the label's good for the transfer and they're opaque bottles so you won't have the problem with the dissipation. So, you know, the, the, during this COVID uh, outbreak time, and, and I think as we go, I've heard some people talking about as we go into the flu season this fall, whether COVID is with us or not, people are going to be paying more attention. And so you're talking about a lot of different devices that will be holding disinfectant. So I think, folks, what you're hearing this, after, or this morning is that you need to pay attention to 
how often that you're refreshing that product or <laughs> you still may not be doing what you think you're doing. Yeah, and the manufacturers do not put on the bottles uh, when they or how long it's good. They don't tell you the shelf life. So what you need to do is you can call the manufacturer and you can get that information for every product you have. And if you have that information, then you know uh, how much time you have to use it from the time that you get it into your house. And we've, since we've been teaching this, we've had some of our uh, people tell us from as far back as two or three years ago that they were being delivered product that by the manufacturer's standard of shelf life was already out of date when they received it. Uh, it's, it's just, it's not as easy as, as you're looking at the labels in the food area where they tell you sell by or use by. It doesn't have that on chemicals, but they do have a shelf life and you need to know whatever it is. Okay, so I know I interrupted you there in your, in your, uh, <laughs> in your program there, but I thought that it was important that some of our listeners hear that. That's good. We'll move on to the other side of that particular section, stability and reactivity. Uh, reactivity is simply how one chemical uh, reacts to another. In the cleaning industry, the most prominent uh, one that you'll find is that it reacts with oxidizers. So when we talk about uh, bleach and ammonia, when those two are mixed, that's a pretty common thing that we tell people about all the time in our industry. And they know you shouldn't do that. It creates a gas that's deadly. And people have died trying to use that combination to clean out a toilet bowl and those fumes come up and it kills them. Uh, so you have to be careful about that kind of thing. Now, between the bleach and the ammonia, when we're with a group, we always ask the question, which one is the oxidizer? And you hear from both sides on that one. The oxidizer is actually the bleach. It's a hypochlorite. All hypochlorites, like shock treatment for a swimming pool as an example, are all oxidizers. Other oxidizers include things like uh, phosphorus, magnesium, those some magnesium is used to weld things underwater because the magnesium holds enough oxygen in itself that it doesn't have to grab it somewhere else. And that's important to understand because those things, when they catch fire, you can't put them out with water. You just have to wait until they burn themselves out. Sometimes you'll hear stories of train derailments and the fire department just sits there and watch everything burn because there's really nothing they can do about it. Um, the, if you have a swimming pool, the odds are you also have shock treatment to take care of that pool. That's a concentrated form of a hypochlorite, and they'll store all those things in their garage. Well, they might also store things like oil and brake fluid, transmission fluid, that kind of thing. When those distillates, if the brake fluid were to spill, and mix with the shock treatment, within 60 seconds, it starts a 2,500 degree fire you cannot put out until those two things consume each other. Well, in the meantime, then the, the shelving catches fire, the garage catches fire, mm. car catches fire, maybe the house catches fire. But the good thing is you still have a swimming pool. <laughs> so you got a place to go for a little while. <laughs> So what 
what we need to understand is when we read that, we have to pay attention to that and, and do two things. One, when we store it, we keep the stable products maybe in the middle and the two things that interact with each other on opposite ends or even put them in separate uh, shelving altogether. We, uh, but not only where we store it on the shelf, we need to pay attention on the cart. I was in one job where they had a distillate that they used to polish their metal and then they used a, uh, an oxidizer as one of their disinfectants to clean out uh, sinks. And I watched the girl take her oxidizer and put it in the sink for its dwell time and then grab the distillate to clean the polish, metal polish on the things. And they've been doing it for a long time. I stopped them and they said, what's that for? I told them, go get the SDS sheets. And they look at it and sure enough, those two things were not compatible. Now, the fact that nobody got hurt to that point, that's just dumb luck, I guess. Uh, we don't know what the reactions are going to be. They don't tell you. It could be a simple thing like apparently happened with this combination, but it could be the big fires or it could be the deadly gases. Uh, so we don't, we just don't want to make sure that those things don't touch one another and we keep them apart, not only in the shelf, but also on our cart. You know, one of the things that's interesting as you're talking through this this morning, Bill, is, you know, in our infection prevention class, we have a big screen that says, do not mix chemicals. And we name several of those ones that you mentioned, like bleach and vinegar, bleach and ammonia, or vinegar and hydrogen peroxide, you know, all of these different things, because people at home do these crazy things because, oh, they're all supposed to be safe, and if I mix two safe things together, it's got to be safe. Well, <laughs> that's not so true. You know, one of the things I always tell people is when you're using chemicals and you're putting them on surfaces, the best way to make sure that you don't have these things is rinse with water in between if you want to use two different chemicals. Uh, would that be a good advice? No, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly what we told them to do if you uh, either get the metal polish and do that first and then do the disinfecting or vice versa, but don't do them together. Um, also would like to mention here that I do in my class at this point is all of these chemicals as ingredients or as complete chemicals all have these things in, in place. They have a, a flash point. They're either flammable or combustible if they will burn. Uh, they have a, a vapor density, they have a specific gravity, uh, they have a stability, and they have a reactivity. All of them have these properties, and they're all different for every one. So the question I ask on this one is, who made it that way? And the answers you get are scientists, chemists, manufacturers. But the reality is it's God who made these things this way. Scientists and chemists find out the, what happens after somebody gets hurt or even killed, and they go do the investigation, and they determine that. Well, they put that information on the SDS sheet. That's why it's there. <laughs> One thing we can count on, and if anything God does, it will always work exactly the way he designed it every single time. So if we pay attention to what they put on the sheets and follow it, we're not going to get into trouble. 
But as soon as we think that we can be better than God and start mixing up stuff that he never intended to be mixed, we're creating a danger for ourselves and others. Well, I think, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, and I I heard this, but I said, where did you get the idea that you can mix things? He says, well, you know, when I'm cooking, I mix all kinds of ingredients to make it like I want it to. Um, This isn't quite the same thing. No, no, it's not. Now, I don't know where we are on time right now, Dave, but I, the next section I'd be going into takes a little bit of time, so maybe we should save that for our next uh, podcast. I believe you're right. Uh, we've covered quite a bit. So can we just do a little bit of a review on um, these things here at the end, Bill, so that you know, people are like, okay, so I got kind of uh, lost in all of the particulars Let's do just a little wrap-up here before we close, Bill. Good. Um, First of all, the term flashpoint. A lot of people think that's where it'll catch fire, and it is not. It's where a liquid starts to release a vapor, and it's different for different liquids. The only one that's a variable is water because it's based primarily on what humidity is in the air as opposed to the temperature. When you go to... uh, Others, like gasoline's minus 56 degrees Fahrenheit, so you know that can't be when things burn because we never see it. It's always burning. But it's when the vapors get released. And I remind people that if you have a car and it's below minus 56 degrees, the car won't start because you can't make vapors. So you have two options. You've got to warm up the engine block so it's warmer than minus 56 degrees, or you can take my option, which is move. Don't live there anymore. <laughs> what a good way to wrap it up, Bill. That was pretty good. Then the next thing is uh, we talked about was flammable and combustible. Uh, uh, anything that will burn, any chemical that will burn is considered flammable if the flash point is 100 degrees Fahrenheit or lower because it's likely to appear in ambient air. If the vapor is build up enough and there's any kind of a a ignition source, even static electricity, it can set it off and put it on fire. Combustible, a lot of times they think that's where it'll explode. It actually just means that it won't burn unless uh, right away because it's the flash point is above 100 degrees. So you typically have to warm it up. Diesel fuel, for example, in a car or truck, you have to either have the engine block plugged in to keep it warm or when you turn on the ignition there's a glow plug that works inside the chamber and when it reaches the point where it's above the uh, flash point of the chemical it'll put a glow light signal on your dash and you'll know it's okay to start the engine so we know that stuff works that way and that's why they designed the engines that way then we move to uh, vapor density which we discussed just today Vapor density is the weight of the vapors that come off of the chemical. We need to understand that because if we're working in in an area that's basically confined and doesn't have good ventilation, the precaution may say we should have ventilation and we need to know where it goes. So if the vapor density is greater than one, it's going to go towards the floor. If it's less than one, it's going to go towards the ceiling. And we need to blow our fresh air either across the ceiling or floor, depending on whether it drops or goes up. 
The other one was uh, specific gravity. It's when we mix chemicals with water. Water has a, a rating of one. So if it's greater than one and you add it to it, it'll fall. If it's less than one, it floats. Uh, important to understand for how you uh, put out fires because distillates will float. And so water won't do that. They just spread it around. you got to smother it with foam or put a lid on the skillet. Don't throw water on it. Um, then we went to uh, stability and reactivity. Stability basically is the shelf life of the chemical. Even if you store it exactly like it says you should, uh, that shelf life can be adversely affected by two things. One's called polymerization and the other is called dissipation. Polymerization removes the solids from the liquid uh, agent that allows you to flow things like floor finish and uh, clumps them up together just like milk will clabber if it's left out and, and not refrigerated. And uh, dissipation is usually by light. So after a while, the it still smells like a disinfectant or like bleach, but the reality is it doesn't work, which is why we always have to keep redoing the swimming pools so we have an effective disinfectant in a swimming pool. So uh, reactivity, the last term we discussed today is how one chemical reacts with another. And those reactions will vary greatly. The most common uh, warning for cleaning people is an oxi oxidizers. And oxidizers are hypochlorites, bleach, uh, the uh, hydrogen peroxide, a lot of the things that we use for disinfection uh, are adversely affected by acid-based materials, basically. And both of those will have warnings on them. So you just need to know where it is and then avoid having them together on the shelf and don't have them together on the cart when they're taking them out. So I think that wrapped up what we had to say, Dave. If you have something else to add, please do. Well, you know, I'm going to say I think that if uh, people would look in their cleaning closet, Janner's closet, storage room, and the cart that we roll around, and you listened to Bill's advice this morning, I think you probably would change a lot of things that you currently do. And, you know, Bill's mainly talking here about, you know, the storage and what the containers come in. Uh, while I don't usually think too much about that, and Bill, I have to be uh, serious here, you know, hey, it's just something you just don't think about till somebody tells you to. I'm always thinking about how they get mixed on a surface because I find a lot of people use one chemical and they never rinse before they put another chemical on there. And they're saying, well, I didn't mix the chemicals. I said, yeah, you did. You mixed them on the surface. That's you fair. mixed them in the air. Um, <laughs> you know, so mixing chemicals is probably the one of the largest things that I see that people do a lot. And so I thank you for some of the clarifications this afternoon. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that if the listeners are listening to this and they're taking any heedance to what you said, you know, the thing is, is who knows? Uh, somebody might be listening to this that uh, is a future person that's going to have you come and inspect them, and now they got a leg up. <laughs> okay. We also want to make sure uh, anybody who would like a PowerPoint presentation on the seven 
SDS terms that every custodian should know and understand. All they need to do is send me an email, bill at billfellows.com, and I'll be happy to get back with them and we can make arrangements for that. We'll be sure to put your uh, email address and show notes here so that they can get that if they'd like. Bill, what's on your agenda for the next 30 days before we talk to you again? Anything sp uh, fantastic other than watching a fox try to get squirrels? <laughs> I've got uh, five uh, open Sims uh, assignments to do, and I have two uh, places that are asking me to do this same chemical training and PPE and process improvements on how to apply disinfectants. So uh, uh, that's kind of where I am now. One of the things some of them bring up is if you don't use a trigger sprayer, you're going to overuse your disinfectant. Uh, two things to that, using a trigger sprayer, you probably underuse your disinfectant and you're not getting the job done. Mm -hmm. But even and if you do it right and you don't saturate the cloth too much and you're able to use eight sides of a cloth, you're getting a lot of stuff out of a small amount of disinfectant because it doesn't take much liquid to saturate the cloth with the disinfectant. You know, whenever you're talking about doing that, you know, I always tell people, I said, I don't know that we're in any shape or form ready to use too much disinfectant on most of the surfaces that we've been working on. By and large, I think what you talked about today is we may be using a liquid that is not a disinfectant anymore. We probably didn't use it correctly because what I find is people don't clean the surface before they use a disinfectant and a, a range of other things, uh, dilution rates and stuff as, as well. So I think that, uh, you know, the, the trigger sprayer going away in the flip top, I think, is uh, quite the opposite. I think we'll find out we actually are doing something where we weren't before. I agree with you. All right, Bill, I appreciate your time today. And, folks, if you've been listening to us live today, uh, we appreciate that. If not, and you're listening to the recording, you can play it over and over and over because, you know, probably Bill covered a bunch of things that you're going, huh, what did he say? I missed that. And that's the reason that you've got this on Podbean Live here so that you can uh, listen to it and uh, replay it. Get hold of Bill if you'd like to have his uh, list of items on the SDS sheet. Bill, uh, hopefully uh, when you go to those places, stay safe. Uh, be good out there, and we'll talk to you in another month. Thank you, Dave. Have a great week. Enjoy your weekend. Folks, you can always like and share everything that we do here. And by all means, uh, make sure that other people hear about it. If you have a question, get hold of me. My email address is dthompson at academyofcleaning.com. We are sponsored and well powered by Jim Supply, where they've been providing cleaning supplies since, well, 1930. And they'll be glad to try to help you with some of those things Bill and I talked about. So until we talk to you again, which probably is sometime next week, we've got classes every day next week. We're doing the infection prevention expert class all week. It's been a real popular class during this time. We appreciate you being there. Whatever you do, make sure that it's healthy, positive, and proactive. We'll talk to you next time.